How we doing, traders? And welcome to the SPACs Attack. Let's get it started. How we doing, traders? Welcome back. Welcome back to the best SPAC show in the world. If you already know that, smash the like button. Let's get the show started. I know that some of you guys are seeing SPACs bounce back. My portfolio didn't look too bad this morning. Seeing a little bounce back. Uh, excited about some earnings. So let's bring on my man, Chris Ketchy. What's up, man? That's how we do on today. Hey, my bad on the mute there. Uh, I was getting you ready. Did, wanted you to actually be ready for the show here. Uh, how you doing, Chris? I'm doing good. How about you, Mitch? I, I'm doing good, man. And just just looking at the specs, trying to keep working here, you know. And, and one thing I'm noticing is we're starting to get some balancing out. Um, there are a couple of interesting, you know, rumors and deals. So definitely want to get into some of those headlines. Uh, we got a great interview later, guys. You know, up health. Um, we're really going to get into it today, and, and we could talk maybe some other healthcare SPACs also. But definitely, guys, stick around. Hit the like button. Hit the subscribe and the bell down below so you can be notified every time we go live. All right, Chris, take us back to the headlines. All right, guys. Yeah, so lots of headlines to fly through today. Before we get to that watch list and that interview that Mitch mentioned, so up first, we have VLDR. This is Velodyne, uh, one of the several LIDAR SPACs um, now publicly traded. So news out that David Hall, the founder and former CEO of the company, has resigned from the board of directors. Um, he cited numerous concerns about the strategic direction and current leadership. Um, you know, so, so big question marks out there around VLDR and, you know, possibly the company that took them public. Shares are up 5% today, um, but keep an eye on this one, you know, as we could see a changing of hands as far as management goes. Then we have uh, earnings, or before we get to earnings, we have a rating. So RSVA, this is the SPAC that's bringing battery maker Enovix public. So Rogers Silicon Valley SPAC. Uh, initiated with an outperform rating and a price target of $25 today by Northland Capital Markets. You, you know, again, as we talk SPACs, when, when these SPACs are getting, you know, analyst uh, ratings prior to the merger going through, to me, that's a positive sign. Getting lots of attention and those analysts, you know, seeing that, that future of the company. So again, lots of SPACs out there, but if you can pick and choose and find the good deals, the good management teams, you know, that there are good companies out there. And RSVA, that Innovix, the battery company, is one that I highlighted before. Definitely keep it on your watch list if it is not already. And then we turn to earnings. So lots of earnings in um, SPAC land. So this morning we had APXT, um, that's uh, Apex Technology, the company bringing AvPoint public. Um, one of the Microsoft Cloud partners. We, of course, had that interview with CEO TJ Page on the show before. So they reported a full year tw 2020 revenue of $151.5 million. That's up from $116.1 million um, from the prior year. So again, APXT seeing significant growth in that um, cloud business, supporting Microsoft users and being kind of the bridge um, to the larger technology company. So keep an eye out on APXT. That's one we've been watching for a while. And then we turned to earnings last night. So we had earnings from Tattooed Chef. So Tattooed Chef, that's ticker TTCF, reported uh, fourth quarter sales of $39.6 million, which beat an estimate of $39.1 million. But their fiscal 2021 sales estimate of $222 million coming in shy of a $224 million estimate. Um, so there was a bit of a sell-off in Tattooed Chef last night, 
Looks like shares are actually now turning positive on the day today. Um, keep an eye out on this one. Remember that they are launching those six additional plant-based products nationwide in Target later this month. Um, you know, so maybe that estimate ends up being on the conservative side of things. Then we have skills, that's ticker SKLZ. Uh, so last night they reported quarterly sales of $68 million, which be a consensus estimate of $62.5 million. And their guidance for fiscal 2021, 366 million, uh, just shy of a 366.1 million estimate. Um, that loss of uh, 14 cents a share uh, coming in a little shy of a consensus estimate of 10 cent loss per share as well. Um, so keep an eye on SKLZ. Last I looked, shares were up today. Um, you know, so again, with this company, it's they've got that deal with the NFL. They've got some future content coming. Um, you know, so we, we look to the, the growth ahead there. And then we turn to Rush Street Interactive. This is ticker RSI. Reported last night, um, so sales of $100 million beat an estimate of $94 million. Uh, monthly active users in the U.S. up 116% year over year and 22% from the third quarter. Average revenue per monthly active user of $328. Um, according to research, they're the second largest online casino operator in terms of gross gaming revenue. For the full fiscal year, they saw revenue of $278.5 million. That was up 337%. Um, and then, yeah, in the U.S., those uh, monthly active users up 165% on the full year. And then we turn to some guidance. So they now see fiscal 2021 to be between 420 and $460 million. Their, their previous guidance was $320 million. So, so prior guidance, 320 million, and they now are at 420 to 460 million. At that midpoint, we would be up 58% year over year for the full year. Um, you know, they talked about their strong fourth quarter and then recently opened an existing market results. So in February, they secured online casino and sports betting market access in Ohio, Maryland, and Missouri. And then, of course, they launched in Michigan with both online casino and sports betting in January, and they're seeing good results there. They also launched in Virginia in January, so they are now live with online casino in three states and sports betting in eight states. Um, lots of positives from this earnings report. We turn to our movers from yesterday, so SRAC up 18%, STPK up 17%. ARYA up 14%, CII 12%, and HOL up 11%. I do own shares of SRAC and HOL. Those were two space facts that we also talked about, um, you know, yesterday during that Kathy Wood space ETF segment. Um, and then yesterday we saw several new SPACs price. Uh, the one I want to highlight is FRXB. This is the second SPAC from Forest Road Acquisition. Their first back, of course, uh, taking MyX Fitness and Beach Body Public. This is, uh, as we call it, the Shacks back. But again, three former Disney executives um, on the board of this back. So it will definitely be on my watch list. And then today we have several new SPACs going public. Um, biggest one I see is $300 million. That's ticker PTOCU. The one I want to highlight is we have SPKB. Um, this is the second SPAC from Silver Spike. And if you remember the first Silver Spike SPAC, bringing Weed Maps public, so a cannabis play there. And I do own shares of uh, that, that first SPAC, but this one will definitely be on my watch list going forward. And then we turn to rumors. So yesterday we had no announced deals, but we did end up with a couple of rumors in the, in the late night session. So we have ENFA, they're in talks to uh, bring BuzzFeed public. That's according to Bloomberg. So shares of ENFA shot up to $14 and then fell. Uh, no surprise here. Remember that Supernova was once rumored uh, to be bringing BuzzFeed public and investors sold off the news on that. 
Um, you know, BuzzFeed just not as attractive of a target. They did just lay off a bunch of staff um, this week as well. So the timing, uh, you know, of its back deal may not be, um, you know, to investors liking, but uh, rumor nonetheless. And then our big rumor out there is SPFR. This is Jaws Spitfire acquisition. So they are in talks to bring Velo 3D public. This is a 3D printing company that counts SpaceX as a customer. Uh, so the report from Bloomberg says it could be valued at $1 billion. Remember, this is the SPAC that includes Barry Sternlich and Serena Williams as part of the team. So I highlighted this one in our Celebrity SPAC show. Mitch highlighted this one in our SPACs under 10.25 show. Um, so we've been talking about this one for quite a while. So, you know, SpaceX, they also have um, Boom Supersonic as a customer. Um, I'm seeing Aerojet as a customer. Uh, lots of space-related companies. They sell their printers with two methods. Companies can buy the custom 3D printers and license the design software, or they can pay for the printers and software in a single bundled service. Um, so in June last year, they announced a $20 million order from an aerospace company. Company was not named, but it came from an existing customer, so it could have been SpaceX. Back in April of last year, they raised $28 million, and at that time, they said they had bookings of $29 million and revenue of $15 million in the last 15 months. You know, so uh, it, it said in that TechCrunch article I read that SpaceX uses them to help print rocket components. Um, so think about that for a minute, you know, how involved they are with SpaceX. And then their competitors, of course, Desktop Metal and uh, MarkForge, which have both used the SPAC route to go public. And the common denominator in Desktop Metal and MarkForge going public with ticker AONE is, again, they were both covered on yesterday's show. They are both in ARC ETFs. Kathy Wood has highlighted 3D printing. And, you know, she has also highlighted, you know, how they could be components in that space ETF. So to me, you know, if we get this deal done for SPFR, I, I would be shocked if this one does not end up in the ARC ETFs um, of some sort. So that's what I've got for headlines. That's what I've got for rumors out there. Uh, um, back to you, Mitch. All right. So, yeah, let, let's talk a little bit about S SPFR. You know, I. I I definitely am trying to watch it right now. I think it got down towards near kind of that 1050 level. That that seemed definitely exciting to me. Um, one thing I'd mention about this one is, you know, with SPACs that have been kind of, you know, getting hit, and, and we I'll, I'll mention in a second uh, a comment from Solar in the chat here. But you know, with with the SPACs moves not breaking out as much with these rumors what it actually does in my eyes is give you an opportunity to actually get in before the stock rockets because if we take a look at let's say cciv for instance you know cciv with the rumor it went so far by the time the news came out i mean it was a sell the news kind of kind of deal and so i think these are actually opportunities um, in my eyes, I was looking at this one before when it was at, you know, under 1025. And now uh, I'm just trying to get as close towards that price as possible so that I can measure my risk towards that level. And so I, I don't have any shares, guys, but I'm definitely looking at this one. I've said it before, guys, anything in space for me is either Maxar or SpaceX related. And why do I like Maxar? Because they relate themselves with SpaceX all the time. And so in, in my eyes, I'm going to be trying to, to get a, a part of this company uh, just because I feel at the, in the long run, you know, SpaceX is, is on the up and up. And if they're printing for them, uh, I think that they got a lot more printing to do. <laughs> Let's just say that. All right. So another one, uh, RSI, we definitely can mention, but let, let's talk about this uh, comment here um, in the chat here. Uh, so the comment says, you know, feel a lot of recent negative SPAC sentiment concerns, target companies that haven't had revenues and, and such. And then also was mentioned that, you know, you're seeing articles on Bloomberg titled SEC sees growing evidence that the SPAC hype doesn't match. Well, you know, I, I personally can say that 
that isn't true. You know, I think what it is is that you're starting to see some evaluations actually come into play. And this actually makes the SPAC investment healthier in my eyes. Why? Because at the end of the day, once we actually start getting some some views of what these companies are actually going for, maybe we can actually start determining that we have winners and losers in the SPAC game. And that's actually a, a great thing because at the end of the day, not everybody's going to be a winner. Not every single one of these acquisitions is going to go to the moon. So you have to always think about that. And I think this is just giving a, a kind of rotation where you're starting to realize that, hey, okay, let's start being smarter about these back investments, but I don't think they're going away anytime soon. And at least the money towards the investments can kind of point towards that. What do you think, Chris? Yeah, you know, an excellent point, Mitch. Uh, you know, I think last night, um, you know, those three earnings report, you know, back up what you're saying. So again, you know, we talk about some of these SPACs, the companies going public, you know, don't have revenue, they don't have profit. Maybe you stay away from those then, right? Because that's, you know, you're going to have a higher risk and possible higher reward with those companies. But if you can find the ones out there, right? So Rush Street Interactive, so they went public, you know, to raise that capital so they could expand into more states for sports betting and online gaming. It wasn't that much different than a traditional IPO, right? They wanted to go public because they needed the capital. They wanted to really grow out their platform and their growth. So then last night, what happened? Their original investor presentation, when they announced that SPAC deal, they, they were guiding for $320 million in revenue for fiscal 2021. Last night, they now said $420 to $460 million. You, you know, so what a jump. So again, it's all about finding, you know, the winning SPACs, do your research, look into these companies. And, you know, I, I've said before, I think there may be too many SPACs out there, right? We have over 400, but at the end of the day, the SPAC market, you just have to take a broad approach. It's no different than looking at the overall stock market, right? If there's a thousand stocks, you're not going to buy all thousand stocks. You're going to look and find the ones that fit your profile, fit the growth that you want or the return that you want. Same with SPACs. Take those 400, find the ones that you want to own. You don't have to own all 400. So, you know, are there bad SPACs out there? Time will tell. Are there good SPACs out there? I personally think so. And we've seen some of the, you know, great growing companies, DraftKings, you know, go public via SPAC. So, you know, as we look at some of these earnings reports, we're, we're seeing that there's real numbers. There's real revenue there and there's real profits with some of these companies, you know, that have done SPAC deals. So for the whole SPAC industry to just get categorized as, you know, all these unicorns and these companies, you know, with no growth and, you know, it, it's just false. And I, I, you know, I can't say anything else there. All right, guys. So let's take a look here at our watch list. All right, guys, so I'm going to take a look and just point out some companies. And one thing I, I'd like to point out, guys, is that I got a bunch of companies on here. I, I think I lost the track of, of number. But let's just take a look and, and look at how it's yeah, mainly green, man. Mainly green. A couple names in the red, not not too big in the red. Nothing up really in the red except A-R-Y-A. Uh, -R -R um, the only one I see it down about 3%, but everything else is a sec significantly starting to bounce starting to look like we're getting some bouncing levels and i know a lot of people that were concerned about higher price specs like let's say b fly or or tpgy that they're balancing out those are some that i'm looking at qs is up today significantly up about eight percent that might be um changing i mean with with other 3ds and kind of moves coming in but interesting move definitely romeo power breaking out and, and you guys will tell me, yep, I'm probably missing this play. I actually took a small winner in Romeo Power, but got out of the position now. Um, MP bouncing back, that might have been a great one to to get on some on some big pullback. AONE still on here. It's probably still getting some Kathy buys. I don't know. Uh, they they Kathy buy more yesterday. She did. She bought more yesterday. You know, <laughs> she keeps she keeps adding to that one, and you know I. I, I, I got to say, I, I support that. You know, we saw that huge customer list they had, Tesla, Ford, GM, Boeing, Lockheed Martin, you, you know, great companies there in that 3D printing market, you know, just looks like it, it could, you know, be revived with the manufacturing and industrial side of things. 
Yeah, guys, and we'll keep an eye. I, I know some people mentioned in the chat ZNTE, so I'll take a look for you. I, I, we hear you. We hear you. You know, one thing is this show is really all about you guys out there. So let's take a look here. It's down towards 1020s, but one thing I do like is that you've had about now one, two, three, four, five days of sideways consolidation, giving you a little ability to at least know your risk measurement. What I would try to, uh, how do I attack this chart? Would I be attacking this first candle here, which was on the 7th of January? You have a low there of 1013. So that's what I'd measure my risk on. And, and, and that's kind of where I'd, I could kind of uh, try, start trying to size in here and then maybe going off of that 1013. But like always, guys, you know, do your own investment and decision. I'm just kind of tell you guys how I would approach, how I approach it off of that uh, kind of this horizontal line here. If you draw across, you know, I would I, you can hold towards that. You know, you've had a couple of sideways days. If you do get a pop above 1050s, this stock will be looking good to kind of get at least some rebound as it's gone sideways for five days. Um, but there you go. I took a look at there for you guys, ZNTE. You guys said I wouldn't do it. I would. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right, let's go ahead and let's get into our interview today. I'm excited to get into some up health. Let's go ahead and bring them on, Chris. You go ahead and introduce. All right, guys. So we're excited joining us on the show today. We have Al Gatmatan and Ramesh Balakrishnan. Uh, they are the co-CEOs of UpHealth. UpHealth is merging with Gig Capital 2. That ticker is G-I-X. Welcome to the show, gentlemen. Thanks a lot, Chris. I think we're off of mute now. Can there you we go. Us? We can hear you. Yeah, Good morning. Yeah. Morning, morning. Perfect. How are you? Good morning. Good morning, guys. Welcome, welcome to the show. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do like I usually do. I'm gonna step out while Chris asks some questions, and I'll be back with some of my own. Sounds good. All right, and it looks like Al, we're having a little bit of audio trouble with you. Are you able to hear us at all? All right, uh, Ramesh, if we can start with you here, I hope I'm saying that correctly. Yeah, you are, you are. Okay, perfect. So let's talk up health. So first, I'm wondering if we can get a little background um, on yourself uh, in this field. Sure, sure. Yeah, so so my background is, uh, so I come into up health from having founded one of the companies that are part of the combination, right? A, a company called Thracis Inc. based in San Francisco, technology company. Um, we've been building and deploying software and healthcare for over 10 years, both internationally and the US. And so my background in healthcare specifically was deploying solutions for um, combined payers and provider networks in global markets and you know getting a, a sense of a wide range of how we have organized health systems different models uh what works what doesn't work and where the future is headed globally so that specifically with healthcare in terms of training my background um uh you know started out with the degrees uh, an undergraduate degree in engineering from the university of madras did my graduate work uh Masters and PhD at Stanford uh, came out, uh, you know, been a part of the Valley for for a long time, building uh, mission critical solutions really in a number of industries, and uh, started the focus on healthcare with the founding of Thrasis, which is coming into into up health. Perfect, Al. Can you can you hear us? I Still don't think like we're Al having problems with the audio there. Let me text him. Uh, we can keep going, uh, uh, Chris. Um, all right, perfect. So, you know, uh, we talk about SPACs on the show all the time, obviously, and we also talk traditional IPOs. So, you know, why the decision to go public via SPAC instead of a traditional IPO route? So a couple of couple of factors in that, uh, Chris, and it's part of the founding of, of UpHealth. Um, so one of uh, one relevant uh, fact here is that the chairman of UpHealth, uh, Chiranjeev Kathuri, who's a doctor, got an MBA from Stanford as well. Uh, he was responsible for taking one of the first telemedicine 
telemedicine companies public, uh, NITOC in, in 2006. And uh, uh, over the last several years, we were talking about creating sort of this digital health super company that would include all of the core components to support moving to this new model of health. And the idea was that we would put this together, not from scratch, but take companies that had leading innovative uh, presence in the market, bring them into UpHealth, and then um, find growth capital to accelerate uh, uh, expansion into the market. And as we were doing this, we were starting to see the um, uh, some digital health companies go public, obviously Teladoc, you know, Capsule, many of these companies going public, some consolidations happening. And our sense was uh, that we would uh, benefit, uh, the primary intent here being to get growth capital and accelerate entry into the market by accelerating the going public. And uh, about the same time, we had built up a relationship with Gig Capital 2, that deep experience in, in uh, public markets, a great partner. And so all of this sort of came together as the ideal way to do what we were trying to do, which is accelerate the growth of companies that had already established a very strong presence in the market and um, raise capital uh, for that expansion and go public. And then that, that was the reason. And, and with the combination of, of gig capital that worked out perfectly for us. Perfect. Good morning, Al. Are you able to hear us now? I am. Can you hear me? We can hear you fine. Welcome to the show, Al. Thank you. Apologize for the delay, please. Let's continue. Not a problem. Not a problem. So, you know, I guess I'll turn it to you, Al. So, you you know, with this merger, there's there's several components. Can you kind of break down for us, um, you know, the the it looks like four of the fastest growing digital health markets will be part of this merger. Uh, can you kind of break down those different growth areas for us? It's absolutely. Uh, we really wanted to mirror the markets that our major end users are dealing with you know, beyond a simple point-to-point -point solution. We find the major end users, health systems, health plans, government agencies, ministries, they deal with the whole patient one at a time and a population of patients. So the four markets that we feel are the most dynamic to be in that can help power their transformation is integrated care management, which goes beyond additional population health or chronic condition management really offers a technology layer that selects, collaborates, and connects and, and empowers clinical and community care teams to care for a population of patients. E-pharmacy, our solution there is much beyond the retail fulfillment of a prescription, although we do that really well. We license in all 50 states with a mature product that more importantly, it goes up the value stream, positioning the pharmacist as a close partner with the patient and the physician, offering compounded and other personalized prescriptions. So that's a very powerful next step in that pharmacy journey. Uh, global telehealth is represented domestically by Cloudbreak, which is already established in over 1,800 care venues. Originally, a language and interpretive services program but it's being repurposed to be a broad telehealth solution within the, the health system, uh, not just from the health system to the home. And then by globally, we're very excited about GlowCal, which has uh, really reshaped and created, quite honestly, the new digital healthcare encounter, where a complete physical exam, physician diagnosis, laboratory testing, and pharmacy dispensing can be all done in one digital encounter. The remarkable blend technologies with re-engineering of workflows. And then the behavioral health space, again, a major element of the total healthcare spend, we're focusing on blended hybrid solutions, because again, we're going deeper into the value chain for severe, more moderate, moderate to severe conditions that need a physical presence, but it augmented with, with teleconsult to extend those rare uh, providers that we know we're in shortage. So those are the four primary markets, quite large. Our customer base, again, is health systems, health plans, and government agencies and or national ministries. Awesome. What a great you know summary of all those different business units and components as part of this deal. 
Um, Ramesh, I want to turn back to you. So, you know, the, the thing that stands out or may stand out to investors is the, the telemedicine part of it, as you know, yeah. you mentioned, you know, Teladoc obviously is, you know, a, a prime example. We've seen them go public. We've seen that stock, you know, take off. Can, can you address, you know, just the, the overall growth market of telemedicine and maybe where we see that going over the next couple of years? Sure, sure, Chris. So I think there's a couple of different models here, uh, Chris, and it's important to understand them. There's one model of uh, telemedicine, which are companies that are really technology enabled medical groups. And what they try to do is build a off to the side, separate network of providers, reach out directly to patients in a B2C type of model and support a virtual episodic encounter, very convenient, et cetera, but really not connected up with local healthcare where most of the patient provider relationships already are. So that's one model. Um, I think that that model uh, has had uh, rapid adoption largely because of circumstances around the pandemic and other uh, you know, openings of windows that may not be sustainable in the long term. Our uh, belief here is that uh, what's going to happen long term with telehealth is it's going to be another modality for local healthcare that already has the contracted physicians and provider networks and the patients already and that relationship there. Another modality to evolve local healthcare into new models of care, which is what we're focusing on. You know, so if you look at uh, the up health model is really around uh, bringing these digital health technologies to enable local healthcare, where the funds are, where the providers are, where the patients are, to move into these new models of care. That is that is massive, and I think what we'll see with telehealth is all of these technologies and all of these innovations really starting to drive towards a, a different model of care. You know, how do we deliver services? How do we manage health? But um, connected to and part of the local healthcare system where a community-based systems where most of uh, patients and providers and health plans will still um, uh, be the focus of that. All right, like so I'm gonna jump in here for a, a little question here. It's it's actually jumping on kind of what you just said. Um, so I'll bring the investor investor presentation here. And, and like you pointed out here, one thing I'd point out is not just only telehealth, you know, integrated care management, digital pharmacy, and behavior health. You know, a lot of interest has been on, uh, you know, kind of Teladoc, and, and you guys saw how that company reacted. But one thing that I clearly state is is where here, you know, up health is is placed, kind of dead in the center here, and and having their footprint in all these markets. How is that really going to uh, affect the company, Al? Yes. Well, we feel on on several levels, it's a true true strength and differentiator. First, we're diversified, so our each each vertical. We have distinct business plans and growth plans, initially led by our international and integrated care management divisions. But all four have distinct diverse uh, customer groups and revenue streams and revenue models. A SaaS-based model with a blend of tech service-based revenue model. So the diversification is key. But the real power is what Mish was alluding to, which is this the, the, the digital wave that's happened so far has not fundamentally reshaped healthcare. The, the, the average day of a provider of a patient hasn't fundamentally changed and the delivery model is similar to what it's been for many, many years. So by being in all four areas and, and being able to integrate that over uh, a single patient and provider relationship or over a population of patients and a group of providers, and being able to offer that unified platform to the major end users. That's where uh, our strength lies and where we believe the real opportunity is uh, to power the, the, the existing health systems and health plans digital transformation. Perfect, and you know, so I wanna turn, one of you already mentioned it, you know, the international 
aspect of this company. So Ramesh, you know, turn to you here, you know, um, as we talk about competition and differentiating factors, you know, I want to focus on that international footprint. There's that slide right there. Um, can you talk a little bit about how that's, you know, a, a positive with UpHealth and this deal going forward, the international footprint? Sure, sure, Chris. Uh, what we're doing in the international market is is quite uh, revolutionary and, and a really tremendous breakthrough, Chris, because what we're doing is we're packaging uh, in a kiosk or mini clinic form factor, we're packaging a complete digital exam. So this is a telehealth consult, a connected IoT, um, including imaging, you know, fetal Dopplers, et cetera, we're packaging complete labs in a, in a machine, sort of lab in a box, where you can do labs, get results in 15 minutes, as well as pharmacy dispensing. All of this packed into a kiosk clinic format. And we're deploying these uh, as a very affordable, scalable infrastructure to build, bring access to healthcare where none exists uh, today. And we're signing. We've signed contracts with 10 countries, uh, just launching a big uh, contract in Madhya Pradesh in India, where, you know, uh, when this is rolled out, we'll be doing, you know, nine, 10 million visits a year, just in that one province alone. So um, this, you know, the, the healthcare is a global infrastructure need. Um, uh, there isn't access in many parts of the world and these old models of building large hospitals, large capital intensive and technology poor um, uh, places for receiving healthcare, at least digital technology poor is, is a thing of the past. And what we're pioneering is a new model for how you can rapidly deploy connected uh, points of care uh, that are affordable, easy to deploy and can start to service, you know, really hundreds of millions, billions of of people worldwide uh, with access to care. The majority of our revenues, Chris, will remain domestic, but clearly the, the, glo the local global solution is fast growing. And we really do see that it has potential applications in the Western world, the US, or healthcare deserts, rural areas, urban uh, vulnerable communities. So it's, it's a remarkable solution that uh, is solving a huge problem with healthcare disparities internationally and we do see uh, domestic application. Awesome, so, you know, Al, um, you know, I go through that investor presentation, I did see some, you know, partnerships, some, you know, key, uh, you know, hospitals signed. Can you talk a little bit, you know, about some of those key customers and partnerships that are in place and maybe how that can impact, um, you know, predictable recurring revenue going forward? Absolutely, That that's another, strong uh, strength of uh, UpHealth is its established customer base. We have 1,800 U.S. care venues contracted. We have thousands of physicians utilizing our pharmacy system and the largest public U.S. health plan. So uh, what we like about that is that gives us multiple points of entry into the main end users that we have already established. And our vision is to introduce more unified, expanded platform of services. So a health system that may be using CloudBreak's uh, health solution will have a strong interest in the integrated care management if they're in a risk model. Uh, they may hopefully have a strong interest in our behavioral health solutions going forward. So I look at those, the customer base is first of all, very uh, impressive, covers coast to coast. It's a national customer base. Uh, we do have significant recurring revenues in our telehealth and our integrated care management uh, model, and we have great visibility into future contracts. Uh, but more importantly, they're, they're, they establish us already with a strong beachhead on where we can expand the offerings to the major users. Perfect. So, uh, you know, Ramesh, turning back to you, you know, we just heard Al talk about, you know, some of that predictable recurring revenue. Um, so outside of, you know, that, that predictable revenue, how do you look at making projections for overall, you know, revenue going forward and what can investors in this company, you know, expect in terms of annual growth and profitability going forward? 
Sure, Chris. So, so the first thing to point out is that we're already profitable, Chris, and uh, we're already operating at uh, a little around $115 million of revenue as of 2020. Uh, and if you look at our revenue model, uh, there there is this recurring revenue stream from contracts, and then there is a revenue stream from referral sources for uh, prescribers for medications, behavioral health services, uh, and these we're increasing the portions of the revenue that are contracted revenues. But if you look at the numbers that we've put out there in terms of growth in 21, these are really coming substantially from expansion of uh, the contracts that we have. So um, there's very strong, uh, it's a sort of a bottoms up projection of revenues for 21 and 22 that are based on the contracts we have and kind of built in growth of those contracts and a very strong pipeline where we're already the vendor of choice uh, and are completing out the contract. So uh, what I think investors can see is uh, that we're making conservative projections. They're based on the continued growth of these businesses that have been established over multiple years and a growth trajectory that is accelerated largely by growth capital. What we're not factoring in here is the very large upside that comes from bundling these uh, offerings to our existing customer base and expanding that dollar volume per customer from doing that. And all of the synergies that are built into um, uh, the you know bringing the one up health platform as a bundled offering to market. Perfect. So, you, you know, part of the, the SPAC process, right, is you're, you're trying to get investors to hop on board, invest in the, the future of the company. So we heard a lot, you know, about the, the growth uh, domestically, internationally. I know this is going to be a, a hard task, but, you know, I'll start with you, Al. What do you think, you know, if, if, if you had to, you know, talk about this company, you know, just briefly to possible investors, what do you think the key focus area should be for them? Well, I, I believe our differentiating factor is the fact that we are already profitable and we have strong visibility into our future revenues and profitability. And that's coming from, again, this established base of customers. Health is not a startup enterprise. It comprised of technologies that have been developed for 10 plus years, companies that have meticulously paid attention to the fundamentals of how do you build a sound company. And that we're able to execute on our vision through a various uniquely qualified list group of leadership, both is experience, deep experience within the healthcare delivery system, experience with scale, and most importantly, truly novel experience on advanced technologies and introducements into the marketplace. We believe something that is a unified platform that represents the next generation of, tele, of digital healthcare requires such a, a diverse mix of leadership skills, and we have that as well. So uh, novel technologies to pay attention to, our ongoing profitability that is a sound base for us going forward, and an experienced, uh, highly capable leadership team to lead, the, lead forward to make sure we fulfill our potential. Awesome. And then uh, Ramesh, same question for you. What do you think, you know, the, the key summary points are for possible investors in health? I think that the key summary points uh, to add on to what uh, Al already said is we're building a digital health leader here uh, that is focused on a long-term uh, understanding of the healthcare industry and being a partner to healthcare in the digital transformation. So these are trends that are long-term, not, not uh, you know, short-term openings caused by the pandemic. We're a global company, we're technology innovators, and we understand the new model of care that is emerging, not just in the US, but globally as well. Another important fact to keep in mind is that all of these founding companies have rolled over uh, you know, about 92% of equity into UpHealth. So we're not here for the short term either. We're, uh, nobody here is looking to flip anything. We are here to build a long, valuable company 
Uh, we have a sense of mission about this. Uh, healthcare is broken. Uh, everybody has had experience of that. We think we know where it needs to go and we have some of the core technologies and offerings to take it there. Uh, and we're here to do that uh, because it's uh, it does a lot of good and there's a lot of hardship uh, uh, being, uh, you know, people face unnecessarily from the way things are. And so there's the, the mission to build a company that does good and becomes very valuable on very solid fundamentals. All right, so I'm gonna go ahead and jump in here and bring in what I always like to pull out here. So let's go ahead and take a look here at the financial benchmarking to the peers. And what I'm really trying to look at is the EBITDA. You know, the, the peer mean is, is 2.9. Um, and you can see there's a lot of kind of ups and downs here. But this you guys have here on, on the predicted for the uh, 2021 12.4. And, and to kind of expand a little bit on that, um, I, I'd like to look at integrated care management. And one thing I'd point out here is the 2020 number here at 31% of the business line. Um, my question here would be, uh, when I look at revenue, I see that it came about 16%. Why are we getting that kind of the higher rate there on the EBITDA from integrated care management? And is, is there some bigger opportunities there to kind of uh, expand on? I'll, I'll first well, go yeah, to yeah. Oh, let's go first. Let's, let's go first to Al, and then we'll go we'll go over here. Sure. Well, my first opening would be integrated care management is uh, essentially a SaaS-based revenue model. So margins there are inherently higher, and so when that business grows as a proportion to the total revenues, and Ramesh can elaborate more on that growth strategy, it naturally elevates our EBITDA. So that's why you see the EBITDA going from twelve today to 20% because the bulk of our near-term growth is in the integrated care management and our global uh, solutions, which are uh, very much recurring revenue, SaaS type revenues. Ramesh can describe more about the growth we're projecting in the near term. Okay, Ramesh, so, uh, we'll go to you. Yeah, so I, I think to uh, Al put his finger on it, the integrated care management is a SaaS offering technology platform. There's massive uh, upside to rolling that out, you know, we've had some very significant wins over um, leading incumbents uh, in deploying the integrated care platform. Um, so we haven't factored, uh, you know, what we can do with growth capital fully uh, to expand on those revenues. But what we're doing on that uh, with the integrated care management is we're creating these virtual care communities that we can sort of wrap around our existing customer who becomes an anchor, whether that's a hospital, health plan, physician group, they become the anchor to a virtual care community we sort of wrap around them. And the model there is a global network of interconnected care communities that are deploying this new model of care enabled with digital technologies. And that's a massive upside opportunity to doing that. I mean, our belief is, that's where healthcare is going to end up. But that that's the heart of what the integrated care ma management uh, strategy is, is to enable these uh, interconnected virtual care communities where clinical and community-based teams can manage health um, in a model of care that looks at the whole person, medical, behavioral health, social factors. Yeah, I definitely have to agree uh, in, in the long term how, how we're moving further and further into integrated. So I appreciate that answer. Go ahead, Chris. I think we got uh, one or two from the chat and then we'll go ahead and wrap guys. Yeah, perfect. Um, you know, questions I saw in the chat, I think we already touched on. It was talking about, you know, any update to the investor presentation. Um, you know, I heard you Ramesh talk about how, you know, estimates may be on the conservative side of things. So I think, you know, that's going to cover, you know, part of that, the, the question I'm seeing in the chat, you know, and I know this may be a tough one to get into is, you know, talking about that vote extension um, that we saw for GIX. So wondering if, you know, you can both kind of comment on maybe where we stand on the timeline of getting this deal done. So maybe you first, Al, and then Ramesh, a follow-up. Well, we're happy to report that the extension was uh, secured with great enthusiasm and minimal, minimal redemption of shares. So we have that uh, trust balance moving forward, plus the 
$285 million of convertible and prime investors uh, that's already in secured. So we're very excited about the, uh, the capital raise today. So the timing, uh, we have the SEC filing has been complete and we received comments from the SEC just this week. We'll be quickly turning those around and we're targeting uh, late April, early May for perhaps uh, our initial listing date. Perfect. Anything to add there, Ramesh? No, nothing to add. That's okay. Yeah. Perfect. Well, thank you for clearing that up with the timeline. You guys heard it here, you know, late April, early May. Um, you know, we look forward to following the progress of, you know, getting this merger done. I want to thank both of you for joining us on the show. Again, we have UpHealth co-CEOs. Um, that company is going public with Gig Capital 2. The ticker is GIX. Thank you both so much for joining us, you know, and taking the time out of your busy schedule. Thank you very much, both of you. Thanks Thank you. Thank, Thank you. You guys have a great day. All right, guys. Well, you guys heard it here on the SPACs attack. So go ahead and smash that like button if you got some value. What we do, guys, is try to get you the information. There's too many shows out there trying to talk about SPACs as the hype and this and how much they're moving. We try to get you the information so that you can have that deep research into these companies. You know, I, I, I don't know how many interviews we've done now, Chris, uh, whether it's over 50. But at the end of the day, I think we definitely are doing a service for you guys out there so that you can get the information to be informed traders in the SPAC industry. So, Chris, anything you want to add there? You know, again, yeah, to echo that, Mitch, you know, lots of interviews here on SPACs Attack. You know, we try to be as transparent as possible. We try to ask, you know, the questions you guys want answered. I know there was a lot of talk about, you know, the, the vote extension, um, some of the redemption there. And then also, you know, we, we always try to hit on competition. So, you know, I loved hearing, you know, the segment on, you know, some of the differentiating factors versus competitors. Um, you know, and to me, you know, I like that this company kind of pulls everything together, right, to make one unified digital health company, and then also that international footprint. That's what, uh, you know, really drew me in um, on this presentation. So, um, you know, I, as we look to that going forward, so, you know, those would be my key takeaways fr from this interview, Mitch. Yeah, so one thing I'd point out here is on the investor deck, let me go ahead and take off the little banner here. Um, so like you stated, you know, this isn't a company just focused on the United States. Um, you can see here, yeah, they got uh, some digital pharmacy, behavior health and integrated uh, and global telehealth. But really, I mean, look at look at all that they're they're reaching out. And I think they're just getting started. At least it, it, when a company's this global, I think, you know, they're just looking at the right markets to get into. And, and it's going to be interesting. The expansion over time. Uh, it, it, this is one that, uh, you know, a lot of times I talk about guys and, and you guys have heard me talk about how there's certain SPACs that you got to look at them and kind of a, either a long-term approach. There's certain SPACs that have the hype story approach and then there's certain SPACs that just kind of you don't know where they're going to end up to me I, I would throw this one in my basket of kind of the long term uh, other stocks that i've mentioned in there uh you know replay you know uh finance of america these are companies that i think in, in the long run you know these are established you know they're, they're working hard to to better their business and i think they took advantage of the opportunity here to go public and, and now it's just going to be a matter of of bringing that investor uh kind of the capital back to the investor and, and so we're going to go ahead and, and kind of keep an eye on this but in, in the long run i mean digital i mean you guys saw it i mean we definitely are moving fast in in, in the pandemic and and where digital health is is going to you can just imagine i mean there's going to come a point i really think that you're not going to need to go into health or doctor's offices unless you're really having like kind of more of a surgery because if we can have so many ways to even get metrics i mean i've i've, I've looked into companies and in, and in, in health and telehealth that have technology in this industry and i'm looking for those those companies also. So it's going to be interesting in health overall, especially the next decade. What do you think about health in the next decade, Chris? Yeah, you know, I definitely think, you know, digital health, growing market, and, you know, 
Mitch, Mitch, what was that P word we talked about earlier in the show, right? Profits. So, hey, so here you had a company like with, with, with already having profits going public. You know, so again, SPACs get so much hate for all these companies, you know, that don't have profits, you know, and you see the investor presentations, right? Where like, you know, 2025, 2027 is when they first hit, you know, revenue and profits and stuff. This, this company already has revenue. They, they already have profits. You know, they're just trying to combine multiple units together to create this digital health company. And, you know, as Mitch said, you know, this could be a great long-term, you know, play for digital health. So I, I agree there. Yeah, we'll keep an eye on these. And just to mention, you know, there's a, there's a bunch of healthcare specs. So maybe one day we need to start kind of narrowing down these and going through them. And, and we'll keep trying to get through that, guys. If you guys have a topic out there that you guys want covered on specs, please let us know in the comments. We take a look every day. And, and really, you could reach out to us also on Twitter, you know, Story Investors or Chris Ketchy on the, on the, on the left here. Hey, guys reach out to us. One thing we're always talking is SPACs and where we think things are going. You know, we try to be as transparent as possible. As you guys see also with our interviews, we try to be as honest and get you guys the information that you guys need to make your informed decision. Like always, guys, you, you know, SPACs are not a guaranteed investment. I'll say it again. It's not a guaranteed investment. It's all about doing your due diligence. And then after that, it's about timing a lot of it. Uh, one thing you've noticed now with this dip lately is that, hey, technicals actually can can matter, you know, and, and, and things are not just going to keep going on that rocketing story. Try to always get those good entries so that you can measure your risk and, and not get caught, you know, kind of holding the bag, then buying more of the bag, then buying more of the bag. And, and there's going to come a time. I, I can say, it, guys, there's going to come a time when you're going to see one SPAC maybe blow up and not go in your direction. And so with that, you always have to understand your risk. That's why I always state that I want to be as close to 10 as possible so that I can measure my risk and take some of these opportunities on the rocket up. All right, guys, we'll definitely stick with you guys. Keep building here, guys. Up next, we got Power Hour, but I don't want to talk about Power Hour right now, guys. I want to talk about something that's coming on uh, after hours. So we're, we're starting some new content, and it's going to be really interesting. Chris will be involved in, 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 certain, in certain shows, but uh, what I want to give you guys is that, hey, we're trying to do some entertainment shows, so stick around today, guys. We have some... Uh, content at five then we're going to have some content at six stick around with us we're going to go all the way until seven and soon going to keep going to eight till nine who knows maybe 24 hours one day so definitely smash the like button hit the subscribe down below if you want to stay with zinger nation come on hit the like button support us as we support you anything else you want to leave off with chris no, you know, I saw I saw some guests coming up on, uh, you know, Zinger Nation Power Hour. I, I saw ticker GSI, you know, so as we talk, you know, we're bringing you these CEO interviews, not just on SPACs Attack, but on other shows as well. You know, we had the Fubo CEO on pre-market prep the other day. I mean, we had Kathy Wood, right, interviewed with, uh, you know, Jason Raznick, like Ben Zinga, we're, we're blowing up. Stick with us here on YouTube. Stay all day long. As Mitch said, we're going to keep going. We're going to keep finding new hosts, new content. We've got biotech show, a crypto show. We've got content all over the place. So, you know, it's not just about SPACs. It's about everything. Um, so stick with SPACs attack and stick with Benzinga. So, you know, another great interview. Please smash the like. Hopefully everyone, you know, at least got some information um, and some due diligence on that company. So even if you don't want to invest in it, you at least heard, you know, the reasons why you should, uh, you know, keep it on your watch list. So, you know, thanks, everyone. All right, guys. And before we head on out of here, um, we got about a minute left. Let's just take a look at the Roblox. Let's take a look at the chart today. See how it's looking before we get on out of here, guys. So this is, uh, you know, our. Let, let me put the ticker. I know someone's going to tell me, well, you didn't put the ticker. You didn't put the ticker. All right, I got RBLX. RBLX here, guys. RBLX, guys. If, you're not, if you don't know, it's RBLX. But look at this chart. One thing I noticed, guys, is stair-stepping, right? So we got to move up. Then what? Down one. Up one. Down two. Up three. Down three. What do I always say, guys? Rule of three, guys. You got that down three. What do you need? You need some volume. Push it up through. 
boom, trend line, boom, breakout. What are you getting right now, guys? You're getting that pullback, right? You got one down, up one, down two, up three, down three. Now I want to see that 70 hold here. If that 70 can hold here and then we push right back up through, I would look for 73 or 75 push, then maybe we can get back up there. But man, what a run here. Four o'clock. This one ran all the way to 92 and one cent man what a run there we'll keep an eye on this one uh, as we keep an eye on some of the other plays but definitely guys smash the like button move on over well you don't got to move on over that's the best part about it just stay here guys when the show ends click the thumbnail where you see the power hour we got some great guests also the einstein of wall street if you don't know who the einstein of wall street is watch the show you might just find out all right guys we'll see you next time guys on the SPACs. Attack, baby!